Hello, Hello and, and welcome, welcome to Art After, After Dark. Dark. I'm your host Maddie. And I'm your other host Natalie. And this is episode number six yes. already. Maddie, All right. how was your week? It was actually a pretty good week. Um, so I guess we'll, I'll go through my highs of the week. Mm-hmm. So last Sunday, actually, I um, went and saw my brother and family. We got family pictures done. And I got to ask him to be my man of honor. Oh, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. So he's going to be my man of honor. I love and that. Yeah. So I'm really excited. The first thing was like that he asked was, oh, do I have to plan your bachelorette party and go to that? I'm like, no, you don't have to do that. But I'm super excited for him to, you know, be a part of my big day like that. So that was cool. And then I also got invited to a Halloween party that I'm super excited about. So um, yeah, me and my fiance are going to be a dead bride and groom. Um, yeah, I I just have like wedding on the brain, so I'm going to do some like special effects makeup and yeah, it's going to be super fun. Um, (laughs) I only have highs this week. Yeah. (laughs) I I just have two more highs. (laughs) It was a good week. So, um, yesterday I went golfing, uh, golfing is something like I never thought I would like, Mm -hmm. and it's been something I really love this summer. So that's it was good. nice to go one last time. Yeah, it's definitely a good thing to do this summer. I didn't go golfing at all this summer, but I did yeah. go disc golfing a lot. But it's like your distance from everybody. It's just kind of a good way to get outside yeah. and do some stuff without feeling like guilty about, you know, right, right, stuff. I don't exactly. Know. Like earlier this spring, you know, when you know we couldn't go out and really do too much. I mean, it still is pretty much the same yeah. situation, but it was just nice to get out and yeah, you're still away from everybody and you're, you're outside, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really going to miss that. And then I have to say my last high was when I got... So if you know me, you know I'm obsessed with Beanie Boos. Like, they're the little... (laughs) (laughs) They're the little, like, um, beanie bag things. And they have the big eyes. Mm -hmm. And Natalie got me, like, so many of them last weekend. So that honestly, like, made my week because... Now my collection has grown, so thank you. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. So she's so angry. <laughs> so last week my cats were causing issues, <laughs> and now this week they're still making noises in the background. Yes. So sorry if you can hear that. She's like jumping up here, and I'm like, ah. yeah. Oh, sorry about that. No, but anyways, good. um, before you share your highs for the week, I actually. Since you got me a gift, I got you a gift too. What? And I figured I would give it to you right now. Oh my god, I'm so excited. All right, I'll be right back. Okay. All right. Oh, so so open this first. Oh my gosh. Okay, so just right off the bat, we've got, okay, we've got a little note here. And we've got a little, like, gifty with some Halloween wrapping. So cute. <laughs> Had to be festive, you know. <laughs> it says, hey, cool friend, you mean a lot to me. And I want you to be by my side when I say I do to my boo. Will you be my bridesmaid? <laughs> that is so cute. And then I have a note on the back. And you don't have to read this. It's a longer note, so you don't have to read it on air. Okay. If you don't want to. <laughs> Sounds good. I'd be happy to, but oh my gosh, yes, of course yes, I will. All right, awesome. what do we have here? This is so freaking cute. It is like the cutest orange wrapping, and it's a little cauldron inside. Oh, and some earrings and a little pumpkin candle. Yeah, that is so cute. <laughs> I'm glad you like it. Oh, I'm challenged. I can't get this open. Here <laughs> Oh my gosh, that is amazing. Like, what a genius. Ah, that is so cute. Oh, look at this. Oh, little skeleton socks. Yay. I'm so, so excited. Oh my gosh, I am so, of course. I'm sure you will. knew this was coming. Oh, I just, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. This is the cutest little dish ever. Dude, I, I know, I got one for myself too, to oh, be honest. Yeah. Like, I, I had to. <laughs> Yay. I'm definitely gonna put candy in that. Awesome. I love I've been this. like holding it in, like I've been slowly asking people, and I'm oh. like, I was thinking about when to ask you, and I was like, why not do it on the show? That is so genius. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's kind of weird when like 
I don't know, like asking one by one. And it's just kind of like, when do I do this? How do I do this? Right. It's like, I don't want other people to be like, what the hell? Like, am I going to get asked? Like, am I going to get asked? So I'm (laughs) I'm glad I finally got to ask. Oh, I felt bad (laughs) when it was um, my, like my wedding. Oh, that wasn't your fault I sent, okay, so I sent Maddie a letter. Like I actually like wrote her letter and I sent it to her. She was living um, kind of far away at the time. Mm in college and so I sent her a letter and it never got to her and I kept I kept texting Jack like hey did she get the thing yet did she get the oh because yeah. I just hadn't earned back from you and then I just eventually had to just do it over the phone <laughs> because it was like obviously this letter got lost so. oh yeah no yeah that wasn't your fault though honestly I think a lot of our mail went missing because we lived in like a duplex and oh, it kind of got mixed up so too bad yeah because yeah. it was cute I don't know but yeah this is so nice oh I'm so excited awesome I know I'm so excited now is because as soon as I ask all of my bridesmaids then we can go dress shopping mm-hmm. and do all that yeah. Yeah. So I'm just like, oh, pumped. and don't worry, Jake. Well, all the bridesmaids <laughs> will take care of them. Yeah, bachelor yeah, Jake, themselves. you don't have to take the brunt of all of that stuff. Yeah. But, oh, oh yeah. I'm so excited. Yay. Okay, so, well, this is my new high now. Awesome. <laughs> Did you have, what were your other highs? Though? Yeah, my other one was, and like, I love the idea of skipping lows this week because mm-hmm. I don't even want to get into You know what? It. The world is honestly a little negative right now. So I'm like, let's just focus on the highs. Yeah. Yeah, we just talked about that right beforehand. We were just like, you know what? Let's just, we don't even want to talk about lows. We already talked about, you know, low stuff and our dark topic. Yeah. (laughs) And dark art stuff. Oh, yeah. So we're just going to keep it positive. Oh, yeah. This week, I got to go to an apple orchard and um, me and Joe picked apples. Awesome. And then um, we took those apples and we baked an apple pie and it was so good. Oh, that's so wholesome. Yeah. Like, and so cute. It's such a cute date. Yeah. Idea. It, was the, it was the first like pie I ever really like oh, really? made like by myself, you know? That's awesome. Um, I mean, Joe helped me peel the apples and everything. Like yeah. That, so, but it was like the first pie like we made, I guess. Pies from scratch. Like you can't beat oh, them, honestly. So good. We got vanilla ice cream, oh, French vanilla. It's so good. Yeah. Oh, hot pie. Hot apple pie straight from the oven. Just ball vibes. Yeah. <laughs> so good. And we had such a fun day, like, picking apples and stuff. I don't think I've done that since I was a kid, so. Yeah, I just went this year for the first time mm-hmm. since, yeah, I was probably, like, eight. So it was really nice. Yeah. It was a lot, like, kind of picked over, but it was still mm-hmm. good. Did you, I wonder if we went to the same apple orchard. Did you go to the one nearby, the Minnesota Apple Harvest? They mm-hmm. have, like, their own ciders, and it's really cool We there. should have. Everything was, like, closed at the one we went to from oh. COVID, which is fine. Like, yeah. we just wanted to pick apples anyway, but um, there was really kind of nothing besides apple picking at the one we went to. Oh, okay. Um, it was in Minnetrista, the Minnetonka Orchard. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was nice. So yeah, that's my high for the week. Awesome. So do we have a artist death of the day? We do. I actually found two artists that died on this day. All right. Um, one year apart, which is weird. Interesting. Okay. So the first one was in 1491. His name is Fritz Herlin, and he was a German artist. And no one knows when he was born, which is kind of weird. So I couldn't find how old he was when he died. Weird. Oh yeah. My gosh. It was super weird. I wonder if like, he knows. <laughs> there was not a lot of information mm-hmm. about him I could find. But um, from what it looked like, he did a lot of like religious works, like Christian works. Yeah. Pretty typical, probably for the 1400s. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. And then a year later, one year later, um, an artist named Piero della Francesca. He was an Italian painter and he died at 77 years old. And he was also a mathematician and did like geometry. <laughs> you know, I find that really interesting because they say that creative minds, um, you know, people that learn visually, a lot of time that aids in, you know, thinking mathematically. Yeah. Well, and I don't know about you. Well, obviously you've t- taken many more drawing classes than I have, but it really is a math perspective. Oh, yeah. It's a math. Oh, totally. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And I feel like geometry kind of goes hand in hand with that. I would totally agree with Which that. Which is why I'm very bad at perspective drawing because <laughs> I'm very bad at geometry. <laughs> and I love geometry. Okay. I was an algebra girl, so I Oh, yeah. Yeah. But he also did a lot of religious works, um, mm-hmm. kind of like in more early Renaissance style for him. Okay. So, yeah, those are the two right. artists death on this day that I found. Rest in peace, guys. Yes. So what? So you're covering the dark topic today. I am, yes. This is kind of a doozy. And this is oh, one boy. that my um, my dad had 
sent me. I feel like we should do like a little disclaimer, like, I don't know. I was thinking about this before because, you know, we do talk about, we might, you know, um, be lighthearted about it, but we do talk about deaths and yeah. things of that nature. So feel free to give a disclaimer. Yeah, yeah. And um, I was talking to my sister-in-law and she said, oh, I really appreciate when you guys say like, oh, this is going to be gory, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, our dark topics are pretty much going to be gory sometimes. And all of this, of course, is information that we're just finding on the internet. Right. You know what I mean? We're just storytelling. Right, if right. If you want to learn more about these things, you know, you can look into it and whatnot. But Absolutely. And yeah. we always are very respectful of the victims yes. that we search and make sure we're giving accurate information that we find so you definitely strive to be accurate but of course you know sometimes we paraphrase and stuff like that oh for sure yeah i just wanted to say that you know because my sister-in-law reminded me of that um Mm -hmm. when she said oh i like when you give a little disclaimer so disclaimer we're gonna start the dark topic all right (laughs) anyway this is one of my dad's suggested um because he said he remembered it from when he was a kid and it really freaked him out <laughs> oh okay cool yeah. just, i have honestly never heard of this before well, so I i'm have, very i excited. had never heard of this guy either so anyway um this is about a guy named richard speck um and he was born in ni- uh, 1941 died in 1991 um so he was a mass murderer who systematically raped and tortured and murdered eight nurses from um, a South Chicago community hospital on the night of July 13th. Wow, okay. So eight in one night. Yeah. So a serial killer and serial rapist. Oof. Exactly. It, it is a torture. He's very like Gary Heidnick and Yeah, but like totally. this all happened in one night, just like. One night? Eight in one night, yeah. Holy, okay, wow. We'll get into it. Okay, let's talk about his childhood. All right. So he was born in Kirkwood, Illinois, and he was the second youngest of eight children. So it was a pretty big family. And so his parents were named Benjamin um, Benjamin Franklin Speck and Mary Margaret Speck. Interesting names again. Yeah. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin. Yeah, I know. Um, from what it sounds like, his... <laughs> Hi, kitty. <laughs> you want to be on the podcast? Josie. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, from what it sounds like, his... His father was like, <laughs> so, I don't know. I hope that they could use that. <laughs> so My cute. cats. God. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, his father was like kind of a good guy. Like oh. he was actually like a good influence and they were really close and he was like, he didn't drink. He didn't like do anything. He doesn't have that classic awful parent. Exactly. But the unfortunate part is he died. When, oh. he, when um, Richard Speck was six. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> yes, that is wrapping paper. You like that? <laughs> Cats love plastic. I don't know why. Uh, I eating that. Yeah, okay. Anywho, <laughs> so um, he died when he was six. And when he was 10, his brother died in a car accident. So things are just oh, wow. happening to him. Before his brother died, his mom um, she was a very religious, like teetotaler, didn't drink. Can you stop eating that, please? I'm having chocolate. Okay. Um, his mom was a very religious teetotaler, of course. And a couple of years after the death of his father, um, she met and fell in love with this insurance salesman named Carl August Lindbergh. And so Lindbergh had a criminal record for stuff like forgery drunk driving all that kind of stuff and like i said um <laughs> sorry the cats are just being crazy oh god <laughs> oh i feel like we were losing our minds last week i know <laughs> they always do this yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my god okay okay where, so where in the heck was i he had an amazing dad it sounds like yes dad passes away when mm-hmm. he's only six. Yes. That's when the tragedy starts. Correct. Then his brother dies. At 10, yeah. And then the bad parental figure comes in, Correct. a.k.a. his stepdad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had, you know, a criminal record. I don't know if the mom knew that. Like I said, she was super religious. She didn't drink at all. Hmm. I don't know. But this guy was pretty much the opposite of his sober father. Okay. And he was not a good influence at all on Richard. 
And anyway, so when he was eight, so this is before his brother died, but right after his dad died, mm-hmm. um, he he married the the mom. So then they moved to Texas. So when they moved to Texas, they moved to Dallas, and they moved around about ten different times to different poor neighborhoods within a twelve year period. Can you oh, imagine damn. that? Yeah, just like pretty much every single year, just oh. moving. To different poor neighborhoods. And that creates a lack of, you know, ability for him to make friends. Yeah, lasting friends. Definitely. Um, I mean, they were still in Dallas, so I don't know if he was able to, I don't yeah, I really don't true. know. But, um, Just sounds a little unstable. Yeah, definitely. And the stepdad, of course, was he was a big drunk. He was a jerk. Mm. Um, emotionally abusive. He would threaten him, make fun of him, stuff like make that. Make fun of him? Yeah, I'm just oh. sad. That's so sad. So basically, Richard Spag started drinking alcohol at age 12. And by age 15, he was getting drunk pretty much every single day. Oh, mm-hmm. man. So that really is interesting, too, because my mind goes to your brain is still developing, especially mm-hmm. yeah. at the age of 12. I mean, you're going through puberty. Your brain brain is changing a lot. Yeah. And to drink a bunch of alcohol, that could really do damage, I feel like, on your development of um, your prefrontal cortex was Definitely. is responsible for um, decision making and all of yeah. that. So, okay. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. So he was, yeah, he was just getting drunk pretty much every day. Um, and he was first arrested in 1955 at the age of 13 for trespassing. And that was followed by dozens of other arrests for misdemeanors over the next eight years. And then in October of 1961, so he's 20 at the time. Um, he met a woman, he met a child, I should say, um, named Shirley Annette Malone at the Texas State Fair. Uh, she was 15 years old. Anyway, they started dating, which at first I was like, oh, the Texas State Fair, that's a, such a cute little like 60s romance right. type thing. Cute but place to meet, but then it's like 15, 15 and 20. Yeah, not okay. I don't think so. Not okay. Anyway, so they dated for three three weeks and she got pregnant oh yeah. my god yeah 15 then then they got married um in january of the next year so this is just a few months later um and they moved in with his mother and sister and his sister's husband so the mom and stepfather had separated thankfully and his stepfather had moved to california so he wasn't in the picture anymore mm-hmm. and when that happened he um he changed his name from richard benjamin Lindbergh, who's the stepfather's last name he changed it back to speck so okay yeah anyway so then she's pregnant obviously just got married and when his daughter was born um, his wife didn't know but he was serving a 22 day jail sentence after a drunken melee Oh, wow. So she, she did not know. birth alone? Yeah. So she's 16 years old. A child. Poor girl. She's a child giving birth to a child. And this drunk idiot who got her pregnant's just, you know, going jail, to jail. And she's like, I don't know where he is. <laughs> oh, poor girl. Then he just, yeah, he pretty much just does a bunch of bad stuff. In July 1963, um, he was caught after he forged and cashed a coworker's paycheck. He also robbed a grocery store. Um, he was convicted of forgery and burglary, and he was sentenced to three years in prison. But he was paroled after serving 16 months. Okay. So one week after his parole, um, he attacked a woman in the parking lot of her apartment building with a 17-inch carving knife. And she started screaming, so he ran away. But then he was convicted of aggravated assault um, with a 16-month sentence, in addition to a parole violation sentence. So he went back to prison... But due to an error, he was released just six months later. Due to an error? Yeah. So let's just get this straight here. He was sentenced to three years originally for burglary and forgery. Then he was paroled after 16 months. Then he attacked a woman with a 17-inch carving knife. So think about a ruler, how big that is, plus a half a ruler. Oh, my God. So obviously Huge. a very violent man. Yes. Huge. And, and then he got sentenced to 16 months for that. Three <laughs> years for burglary and forgery. 16 That's months not for attacking enough. a woman, yeah. Well, yeah, because this was uh, in the 1960s at this point, right? Um, Yeah, 63, I think. Okay. Or 65, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. God. There's a ton more I could cover here, but I'm going to kind of skip over because there's just like a lot that he did. Basically, he robbed more grocery stores and just continued like doing bad things, threatening people with knives, 
burglary, all that stuff. So, so not changing his ways. Nope. Did not learn a thing. Then he moved to Monmouth, Illinois, which um, was near where he was from. And he moved there in March of 1966. So he initially stayed with some friends. Then he moved to the Christie Hotel and spent a lot of his time at the local taverns. And I should mention that his wife actually did divorce him. So that's good. She remarried like right away, which he was pissed about. But Oh, Richard was pissed about that? Yeah. Interesting. Well, it's like, dude, you weren't there. Like, I know. What do you expect her to do? And then she remarried and he got really mad. But so anyway, in Monmouth on April 3rd, there's a woman named Miss Mrs. Virgil Harris, and she was a 65 year old resident of Monmouth. Mm -hmm. So right away, just like the age range that like it's just so interesting. Kind of like the night stalker. He just doesn't care like how old his victims yeah. are, you know? Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, so we talk about the night stalker in like every single episode. We should just cover it. <laughs> we him. definitely will have to cover yeah. him. Oh my gosh, that story's wild. <laughs> mm-hmm. So anyway, she's 65 and she's a resident of Monmouth. And she got home about 1 a.m. to find a burglar in her house with a knife. Okay, okay. Richard. Yeah. <laughs> She described him as a six-foot-tall white man who was very polite and spoke very softly with his southern drawl. And he blindfolded her, tied her up, raped her, oh. ransacked her house, and he stole $2.50 from her. Oh, my God. That's- <laughs> yeah. That's it. Like, oh. was it worth it? But anyway, this is the 60s, so I was thinking, well, maybe that could be worth more now. But I looked it up, and it was literally, like, $20. Yeah, no way. Yeah. So, <laughs> God. Bad. Anyway, a week after that, Mary Catherine Pierce, she was a barmaid. She worked at um, her brother-in-law's tavern called Frank's Place. She was 32. Again, just like completely different Mm -hmm. ages. Um, She worked, you know, at the tavern in downtown Monmouth where Richard spent a lot of time. And she was, she went missing. She was last seen um, at 1220 a.m. on April 9th. So this is just about six days after um, that the lady got burglarized and all that. Aww. So she was reported missing on April 13th, and her body was found that day in an empty hog house behind the tavern. And she had died from a blow to her abdomen that ruptured her <gasps> liver. A blow? So he, he hit, hit her. her. Yeah. That's, I can't even imagine how much force you'd have to use to hit somebody so hard that they rupture an organ and die. Ugh. It's awful. Horrible. But yeah, like I said, he had been visiting this tavern quite a bit. And the hog house was one of several that he had helped build the month before. So the Monmouth police were kind of like questioning him a little bit after her death when he showed up to collect his um, carpentry paycheck after building the hog house. Mm -hmm. Um, So they asked him to stay in town, you know, so they could question him a little bit more. And they showed up at the Christie Hotel where he was living at the time. Um, to continue questioning, and they discovered that he had left a few hours earlier. Um, he carried his suitcases and said he was just going to the laundromat, and then he never came back. He just left town. Okay. Yeah. And so on the run, obviously. Exactly. And they searched his room, and they found some stuff that um, Mrs. Virgil Harris, the 65-year-old, mm-hmm. she had reported missing from her house, as well as some other items that were missing from other burglaries in okay. the past couple months. So he's just not even trying to cover his trail by keeping all of this stuff. I know. It's like, if you're going to leave town to escape the cops from questioning, like, why not put all that stuff in your suitcases, too? Right. Like, it's like he wants to get caught almost. Yeah. It's weird. But I don't know. (laughs) Obviously, he didn't because he fled. But Yeah, that's true. Um, So then he went to go stay at his sister Martha's second floor apartment in Chicago where she lived. With her husband, Jean, and their two teenage daughters. So Martha worked as a registered nurse in pediatrics uh, before she was married to Jean. And she worked night. Oh, I'm sorry. He worked nights as a railroad switchman. Okay. So he pretty much told them that he had to leave Monmouth after like some people were telling him to sell narcotics and he refused and said he didn't want to be part of a crime syndicate. Oh. And so he was like, I had to leave because they're just bad people, you know? <laughs> and so they were like, oh, okay. So. Oh, you innocent Richard, of he, course. Of yes, course. come stay with us. So Gene was, um, he was in the Navy and he was like, oh, I can help you get a job like in the military. 
So he took him, um, he took him to the U.S. Coast Guard office to apply for a letter of authority to work as an apprentice seaman. Seaman. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> the application required being fin- fingerprinted and photographed, of course, and having a physical examination by a doctor. So he found work right away after obtaining this letter of authority. During his first voyage, all of a sudden he got appendicitis. Uh, Pretty bad. Yeah. So a hel- helicopter actually had to come and take him to St. Joseph's ho- Hospital in Hancock, Michigan. That's wild how your appendix can just burst and you have to get it taken out within hours, I think. Yeah. Like, otherwise you could you die. You could die. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. So he had to have emergency surgery to take his appendix out. Um. So then he was discharged from the hospital and he returned to stay with uh, Martha and Jean in Chicago while he was recuperating. Then on May 20th, he went to go rejoin the crew, but he got into a drunken fight with one of the boat officers. So they kicked him off the boat. <laughs> they were just like, get out of here. Like, so he basically, like this is his job and yeah. he got kicked off the boat. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> so then he went back to Michigan where he was in the hospital and um, he traveled by train to visit this woman named Judy Lakanemi, who was a 28-year-old nurse's aide. She was going through a divorce, and he met her at the hospital. So she gave him about $80, um, which is around $600 today, to help him until he found work. And he left again to stay with his sister Martha and her family in Chicago for the next two weeks. Can you imagine being Martha? It's like, come on, buddy. I know. I mean, it's like, like, it's your brother, so you love him, but it's like, dude, come on. So <laughs> I then, you down. Yeah. On June 30th, um, Gene, you know, Martha's husband, he drove him to the National Maritime Union to file his paperwork for a Siemens card. And the NMU hiring hall was one block east of five attached two-story brick townhouses, um, three of which were occupied by some senior student nurses and Filipino exchange registered nurses. Okay. So eight of these nurses lived in the easternmost townhouse. Um, at just like 150 feet away from the NMU hiring hall. Oh, I yeah. see where this is going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll get there. So on Friday, July 8th, Gene drove him to the NMU hiring hall to pick up his Siemens card and register for a berth on the ship, which is like pretty much like a spot on the ship, like a mm-hmm. a bed or like you oh, know, a okay. place on the ship. Like he was trying to just basically get out and do work. So he lost out that day to a seaman with more seniority and returned to his sister Martha's apartment for the weekend. Surprise. <laughs> then he just has basically the worst week ever. So on Monday, July 11th, um, he had outstayed his welcome with his sister and her family. So she was kind of just like, dude, you need to get your poop in a group and get out of here. <laughs> you dude, know? I've never heard that before and I'm going to use that now. I think that might be a... A guy you're saying, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, oh, hi. What are you doing? Oh, now she wants to be friendly. Are you cuddling me now? God. That's fine. <laughs> I like cuddles. Then <laughs> on Tuesday, he went back to the NMU hiring hall and he received an assignment. So um, he, it was like a 30 minute drive away um, and it was in Indiana. And so when he got there, he found that his spot had already been taken and he was driven back to the NMU hiring hall, which was then closed. Okay, so, so just like a God. sucky day. Can yeah. you imagine? Like you drove, you think you got your job, and then it was given to somebody else at the last minute. You're just and then you have to go back, to and then you're trying to go back. You can't go back to your sister's house, and it's closed. The place that you need to go back to. So he basically just like he did not have enough money to like get a hotel or something. So he just slept in an unfinished house somewhere. Oh, yeah. And then on Wednesday, the next day, um, he picked up his bags and he checked in. The NMU hiring hall. Wouldn't you give up at this point? I'd be like, oh, Dude, this isn't yeah. worth it. I don't know. Go find food at a fast food joint or anywhere else. Like, this isn't working, obviously. Right. Well, he's trying to get a job. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I would... Or is that what you meant? Like, yeah, get a like, job somewhere else? Yeah, yeah, like, go try somewhere else. Like, I'm sure there's other places that would hire, you know? Yeah. I, don't, I guess I don't know the times, but... I don't either, but yeah. Anyway, he was mad about being sent you know to this assignment that ended up being for somebody else um he his sister and Jean they drove down to visit him and they talked for like 30 minutes 
I don't know. Like you're cuddling one minute and then the next minute. Okay. So his sister, Martha, and her husband, Jean, came to visit him that day. And they parked across the street from the townhouses where the nurses lived. They talked for like 30 minutes in the car. Um, And at 10.30 a.m., he got tired of waiting for a job. So he, um, he had $25 that his sister had given him. And he just left and walked about a, a mile and a half east to check in at this shipyard inn. Okay. So he spent the rest of the day drinking in nearby taverns before he accosted a woman named Ella Mae Hooper at Knife Point, of course. She was 53 years old, and she had spent the day drinking at some taverns um, that Speck had also been to. So he probably saw her across the bar and was yeah. just eyeing her up. Right, um, yeah. He was probably honestly like, following her yeah i don't know meditation probably yeah and it's just so bizarre like not having a age i feel like most like serial killers have like an age range that they're right he definitely seems like an opportunistic killer yeah definitely anyway so he took her to his room at the shipyard inn and he raped her and he stole her gun Mm. so i don't i think he killed her oh Poor girl. No, I don't think he killed her. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I think really? he just, well, I mean, still poor girl, but yeah. Yeah. He raped her and stole her gun. That's all I know. Ugh. Anyway, then he went back to drink at the shipyard in tavern until like 11.20 p.m. And he left there dressed entirely in black, armed with a switchblade and um, Ella Mae Hooper's gun. And then he walked a mile and a half to the nurse's townhouse. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So at 11 p.m., he broke into the townhouse which I've said was the dorm for eight student nurses. Um, He entered and using only a knife in his hands, he killed um, eight women, Gloria Davey, Patricia Matsuk, Nina Jo Shamali, Pamela Wilkening, Suzanne Ferris, Mary Ann Jordan, Merlita Gargulo, and Valentina Pazin. Oh, rest in peace. I know. Yeah, I just had to say all their names. So... He later claimed he was both drunk and high on drugs. Obviously, he was drunk. He was drinking all day long. Yeah, but that's not an excuse. No, it's not. Um, but yeah, he. Um, they think he may have originally planned to commit a uh, routine burglar- burglary. So he held the women in a room for hours, leading them out one by one and stabbing or strangling each of them to death. And then finally raping and strangling his last victim, Gloria Davy. Oh, poor Gloria. So she had to hear and witness all seven girls before her Mm -hmm. meet their demise. That's horrible. Exactly. But there was one woman. There's eight women living in this um, townhouse at the time. Mm -hmm. But one woman, um, I'm not sure if she lived there or there was nine in there this night. Okay. So I think he knew that there was eight that lived there. Oh. Um, She could have been maybe a friend visiting. Yeah. And I don't know if the one that one of the ones that died was just someone visiting or not. Oh, but, right. Um, there was an extra girl there. Okay. And he did not know this. So one woman, her name is Corazon Amaro. Sorry if I say that wrong. Um, she crawled and hid under a bed while he was out of the room. That's crazy. That's like in almost every slasher film. And yes. I don't know about you, but I always thought I would never hide under the bed because. Then they, that always, you can't escape. Yeah, you can't escape. And and I've seen pictures of, <laughs> I've seen pictures of this bed and, um, it's like up against a corner. You know what I mean? Oh. So if he came under there, there would be no way that she could escape. That's like straight out of a scary movie. Yeah. Um, and she was actually the one who answered the door. So first she hid in a closet with two other girls. And then some of the other nurses came out and they were like, it's okay. He's like really calm. I don't think he's going to be violent or whatever. Um, so it's fine. Like, just Oh come my gosh. So then he tied all of them up and brought them into a separate room one by one where he like raped, tortured, and killed each one of these ladies. Oh. Um, but while he was luring out one of the girls, Amaro, I'm going to say that's how you pronounce mm-hmm. it. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Um, it's A-M-U-R-A-O. Um, so do without what you will. Okay. <laughs> Pronounce it however you want. She rolled under a bed and she was already bound, like tied up and bound. Oh my gosh. Um, and he was luring out these girls and while he went out, 
with one of them outside of this room. She rolled under the bed and she had to stay there quietly while all of her friends were being tortured and killed. And she had to stay under that bed for six hours. That's so crazy too, because one, I wonder why didn't any of the other girls try to follow her suit? And yeah, do I don't the same? know. And two, I mean, this is horrible. That's but what I wondered too. Yeah, yeah, but lucky for her, I guess you could say Richard was drunk enough where he obviously knew her of her whereabouts because he tied her up. Yeah, but he just forgot about her. And he she lost was, count. That's crazy. He probably count like was like, okay, I killed eight. You know, that yeah, was it. And there was he didn't know there was a ninth woman spending the night there. Oh gosh. And I think she climbed out a window eventually. And this is on the second story. Okay. Um, but Oof. yeah, I've seen some picture. Like I saw a picture of this bed that she hid under. Yeah. Or hid under, and there's like blood on the floor in this oh picture. My God. It's terrible. Yeah. So I don't know. Oof. Anyway, so a couple of days after the murders, he was out drinking again, of course. And um, there was a drifter at the bar he was at named Claude Lunsford. And they were kind of drinking together. I mean, obviously, Claude didn't know anything about mm-hmm. anything. And also, thank God for Claude. Hashtag thank God for Claude. <laughs> um, oh, boy. Yeah. So then the day after that, um, Lunsford, he saw a sketch of the murderer in the paper. Uh-huh. And he was like, oh, my gosh, that's the guy that I was drinking with last night. Oh, can you imagine? <sighs> yeah. So anyway, he called the police at like 930. And he had found Speck. In, hit, in Claude Lunford's room. He found him in there um, at the Star Hotel, and the police didn't respond to his call. <laughs> so Speck is in his hotel room. He's like, I got he your guy. Yeah. Come get him. <laughs> and records show that the call had been made. So he definitely called them, but they didn't respond. Um, then Richard Speck attempted suicide, and then the Star Hotel desk clerk, she phoned an emergency and was like, hey, we have like an attempted suicide here. Please, someone come help this guy. She doesn't know anything, you know. Mm-hmm. So then he um, got taken to the hospital and the doctor, Dr. Leroy Smith, he was a 25-year-old surgical resident physician. Um, he had read about this tattoo that the murderer had because of um, this woman who survived. Oh, okay. Um, and he had a tattoo that said, born to raise hell. <laughs> Kind of reminds me of the Hellfire Club. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Like Hellraisers? Uh-huh. I don't know. Anyway, so this um, doctor recognized this tattoo, and then he called the police. Speck was arrested, and yeah, that's that's that. Wow. Mm-hmm. So and he died of a heart attack, so. Oh, so he died in prison? I think so, yeah. Oh, gosh. That's crazy. I just, mm-hmm. like... You know, I feel like this probably inspired scary movies like When a Stranger Calls and so many other slasher movies mm-hmm. where they hide under the bed. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just like, uh, I don't know. If you have a chance, anybody, like, look up this woman that survived and read her story because it's amazing. Um, her name is Corazon Amuro. C-O-R-A-Z-O-N-A-M-U-R-A-O. Okay. Yeah. God, that's and yeah, insane. I, like I said, I found some pictures of um, everything, and it's pretty scary, like, actually seeing it. Maybe I'll post some of them yeah. on them. Yeah, maybe, like, the bed or something. Yeah, definitely. Oh, gosh. It's pretty scary, but... Yeah, so that is my... Dark topic. Well, rest in peace to the victims. Yeah. That is so wild. It is really sad. And, you know, it goes to show, too, he had a good... Oh, my gosh. I'm looking at the picture of the bed right now. So that's where she hid. That's crazy. Oh, you can see, like, footprints in the blood and everything. Wow. That just, like, gave me the chills Mm -hmm. seeing that picture. You can see the... um, screen like pushed in on the window oh, where she yeah. crawled out so gosh i wonder how she crawled out bound like that i know that's a good point i didn't think of that that's crazy yeah jeez <laughs> well thank you for sharing yeah <laughs> so be careful no wonder don't let why. anyone in your house and if they seem calm oh god yeah don't 
care. Don't care about that. I read something, somebody tweeted one time like, oh, in the 70s, people used to just answer their door when somebody rang the doorbell. Like, I have to army crawl on the floor yeah. and peek out my blinds, like all, you know, stealthy, like, <laughs> to make sure it's not a murder. And, you know, back then, like, people didn't know. And yeah. then all this stuff obviously happened. Mm-hmm. You know, people got abducted. People. I feel like people were probably a lot more trusting back then. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, I like get scared to do anything because of these no. stories that I read. So I'm always like way too alert. Yeah. But it's because of things like this, you know? Uh, you can never be too careful. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Just, ugh. All right. Yeah. Well, I suppose I will dive into our art topic yes. this week. So we decided that for the month of October, we are going to kind of mix our two t- um, topics and talk about spooky art topics. Yes. So I decided to talk about an infamous haunted painting today. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. Yes. You'll definitely have to check out this painting um, online. That way you can kind of follow along. And the painting I'm going to be talking about is called The Hands Resist Him. And this is a painting created by artist Bill Stoneham. And it was created in 1972. And this is Bill Stoneham's most well-known work. Um, I will describe it for people listening who aren't able to look it up. It's a realistic painting, I would say, but it still has a very painterly feel to it. Um, It almost kind of reminds me of Renaissance art, the way in which it's painted. Um, It depicts a young boy who looks to be about the age of five, and he is standing outside in front of this glass panel door. And beyond this glass panel door, you can see into the house or whatever structure it is, And it's very dark. Um, You can't identify anything within the house because the background is black. However, you can see the faint image of many hands behind the glass reaching towards the boy and also on the other side pressing their hands against the glass. Yeah, so this creates this really ominous and ghosty type feeling already. And um, you can't see arms or like the person or thing that these hands are attached to. It's just stark black with these ghost hands reaching out. (laughs) Yeah, totally just goosebump inducing. Um, And then next to this five-year-old looking boy in the painting stands a female doll. And I have a really big fear of porcelain dolls so i think that's a valid fear yeah i don't know where a lot of people are afraid of porcelain dolls and i, I don't know creepy. where it comes from they're really really creepy they just know. look demonic yeah it's like they're like <laughs> lifeless dead eyes and yeah like oh uh, and it makes me I think of it. like robert the doll oh yeah robert the doll uh, the story of the haunted doll kind of looks like robert the yeah doll. she actually does because she's like a life-size looking doll she's almost as tall as the five-year-old boy she, yeah she does totally look like robert the doll and this is a side note too it reminds me of i used to stay at my um grandma's house on my stepmom's side and she had this room with shelving all the way around that had all these porcelain dolls and I used to have to stay the night in that room and I could never fall asleep because all the dolls would be looking at me. Ooh, so that is yeah. terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah, there's this um, human like doll standing next to him and you can tell it's a doll because it has like the jointed elbows and knees mm-hmm. and it has a very scary doll-like face with just these black holes for eyes and Ugh. this downturned frown. I feel um, like I get chills every episode like that. I know. I, I can literally see the goosebumps. Ugh. And so the, I know, and this painting is said to bring bad luck. So I had a really hard time researching this and staring at this painting. Oh, okay. I got to close it. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Cause I was just staring at it too. But, um, so the doll's hands are clasped in front of her and she's kind of turned a little bit towards the boy who is facing towards us staring at the viewer. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has a very just nondescript expression on his face. He looks like someone i can't think of who he kind of looks like my old neighbor andrew 
little bit. You remember Andrew, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking it looks like Dale Gribble from King of the Hill, but as a child. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he does totally have that kind of... <laughs> the, the, oh, my gosh. Now that's what I'm going to see when I look at it. <laughs> Sorry. It makes it not as terrifying to look at when you think of a baby Dale baby. Gribble from King of the Hill. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Anyways, um, I'll get a little bit into the symbolism behind the painting. So this painting is packed with a lot of symbolism from Stoneham, the artist. Mm -hmm. So the boy in the painting is actually based on a photo of himself when he was five. And the doorway, that's the glass panel door, is supposed to represent the dividing line between the world we live in as we know it um, and another dimension of sort of the unknown. Mm -hmm. And the doll is alongside the boy to serve as sort of a spirit guide who will guide the boy through the threshold into the other dimension of the unknown. And so the hands inside of the threshold, just beyond the glass door, are meant to represent alternate lives or many different possibilities in life, is what was described online. And this uh, painting was actually inspired by this poem that um, Stoneham really loved. And this poem is by R. Ponsetti from 1971, and it reads, he is of the seeing visions. His strokes reveal them in a rush of color, of madness, of mystics. And his head is the highest center. It must confront its enemy. The hands resist him like the seeker of his birth. The presence is the sanctum heartbeat, felt in darkness and in passion. It sound the sole gift to that silence. So that's the poem that inspired this work of art. Okay. Um, and I wanted to share a word from the artist on this painting because I feel that that is the most authentic source is straight from the artist's mouth. Yes. Um, so this is found on stonehamstudios.com and that's Bill Stoneham's website. And it reads, so this is Stoneham's old words. And he says, where to begin? Well, I've always had a connection to what Carl Jung called the collective unconscious. I think we all do. Artists, especially visual artists, are parameters for the currents that run through this collective. Dreams are a common experience people may have with this. Anyway, my own experience is a sensitivity to place, physical, geographical place. There are memories, echoes of all the life within a place. Maybe it's what's called channeling. When I painted The Hands Resist Him in 1972, I used an old photo of myself at age five in a Chicago apartment. The hands are the other lives, the glass door, that thin veil between waking and dreaming. Mm. The girl or doll is the imagined companion or guide through this realm. And then this is where he talks about the past owners of this painting. So it starts to get creepy. Oh, gosh. It's really giving me Robert the Doll vibes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Continue. It says, both the owner of the gallery where hands was displayed at the Los Angeles Times and the Los Angeles Times art critic who reviewed my show were dead within a year of the show. They just mysteriously died. Oh, I hate it. Ugh, I know, right? And then he said, goes on to say, I'm sure it was coincidence, but some of what I paint resonates in other people opening the inner door or basement. By the way, I still have no idea what happened to the character actor who bought the painting at the show. Editor note, it was John Marley, and he died in 1984, or how it ended up abandoned in a building, though I could speculate. And that's from Bill. So oh, wow. people coming in contact with this painting have died, uh, like, mysteriously mm. for no reason. So that's the really creepy part that he says about it. And then... Uh, this painting became an urban legend and a viral internet meme in February of 2000. And that was when the painting was posted for sale by an anonymous seller on eBay. And the post had a really eerie description implying that this painting resulted in bad luck and curses to those who came in contact with it. And it was listed simply as haunted painting on the eBay website. And because of this, it's also famously known as the eBay haunted painting. Huh. Yeah, so um, I'm going to read one more thing because I can't talk about this story and not read the eBay ad. Yes, I was just going <laughs> to ask if you were going to Oh, read. yeah, and this eBay ad is juicy. So Oh, my gosh. Okay. I'll go ahead and delve in. So the eBay ad reads, When we received this painting, we thought it was really good art. A picker had found it abandoned behind an old brewery. And side note, remember, 
on Stoneham's website, he says he has no idea how it en- ended up abandoned. So that's when this family got it. At the time, we wondered a little why a seemingly perfectly fine painting would be discarded like that. And that says in parentheses, today we don't. <laughs> so it says, one morning, our four and a half year old daughter claimed that the children in the painting were fighting and coming into the room during the night. What? Now, Wait, I, what? Yes. <laughs> Wait, say that again. Sorry. Oh, so it says, one morning, our four and a half year old daughter claimed that the children, so the five year old boy and the doll, uh-huh. in the painting were, were fighting, fighting and coming out of the painting and into the room during oh, the night. I don't like that. And this is what a little four year old said, which is always so creepy when little kids say things like that. Cause it's like, how did you imagine that? You know? Yeah. It's like they don't know enough about like to scare someone. Right. To like say that. Yeah. Like, so it's obviously like something genuine that they're just telling, you know? It just is so creepy. I think they saw it, but I mean, I don't know. But yeah. And they go on to say, now I don't believe in UFOs or Elvis being alive, but my husband was alarmed. And to my amusement, he set up a motion triggered camera for the nights. After three nights, uh, there are pictures. The last two pictures are shown from the stakeout. So did you say Elvis? Yeah. So that part she's saying, now I don't believe in UFOs or Elvis being alive. Like she's saying, I'm not the type of person to just believe in anything. So she, the, I keep saying she, but this post was anonymous, so we don't really know who put this up. But they're trying to establish, like, I'm not the type of person to believe in ghosts, but, you know, to their amusement, they decided to set up a motion-triggered camera. And, you know, maybe they wanted to do that to show their four-year-old daughter, like, see, like, they're not coming out of the painting. It's just your dreams. But anyways, they set up a webcam um, to stake out the painting for three nights, and they have pictures that were taken that were really eerie, and I'll show you. Um, after seeing the boy seemingly exiting the picture under threat, we decided that the painting has to go. Oh my gosh. Please judge for yourself, but before you do, please read the following warning and disclaimer. And they say, warning, do not bid on this painting if you are susceptible to stress-related disease, faint of heart, or are unfamiliar with supernatural events. By bidding on this painting, you agree to release the owners of all liability in relation to the sale or any events happening after the sale that might be contributed to this painting. Oh my gosh. (laughs) The painting may or may not possess supernatural powers that could impact or change your life. However, by bidding, you you agree to exclusively bid on the value of the artwork with disregard to the last two photos featured in this auction and hold the owners harmless in regard to them and their impact expressed or implied. All right, I'm almost done with the ad. Okay. Uh, but they go on to say, now that we got this out of the way, one question to you eBayers. We want our house to be blessed after this painting has gone. Does anyone know anyone who is qualified to do this? And so these are the pictures that they captured. Uh. The girl seems to glow at night and she gets this really sinister expression on her face. And you can see what looks like a gun in her hand pointing at the boy's side. Okay, at night. I was gonna ask, what is she holding? She's she holding, holding like a toy at first. Yeah. And I could totally see how the lighting could change it and make it look like a gun at night. No, but I mean, yeah, you're right. It totally but, does. But like, I just. Whatever she's holding is weird. It looks like a spray paint can, but with like wires coming out of it. It looks I mean, like it's just creepy. Really weird. Yeah, it looks like who knows? It, ugh. I couldn't find really information about what exactly she's holding, but oh yeah, it really does look like a gun. Yeah, and her face changes. The face just looks more sinister. I wouldn't. This painting would be so scary to see at night, and uh-huh. you, you'll definitely have to check out the pictures that we post. Yes. Um, but these were the photos that were included in the ad. Mm-hmm. And so the lighting change definitely changes the whole look of the painting. Yeah. And so the posting goes on to read, the size of the painting is 24 by 36 inches, so it is rather large. And I've had several questions. Here are the following answers. There was no odor left behind in the room. There were no voices or the smell of gunpowder. No footprints or strange fluids on the wall. To deter questions in this direction, there are no ghosts in this world, no supernatural powers. This is just a painting, and most of these things have an explanation. In this case, it's probably a fluke in lighting. 
I encourage you to bid on the artwork and consider the last two photographs as pure entertainment and please do not take them into consideration when bidding. Weird. So, right. So after I read um, the ad, I just wanted to talk about my impression of the ad. Yeah. So I thought that it sounds like this couple is genuinely uncomfortable with this painting. Mm -hmm. They originally really liked the painting for its imagery value. So the disdain for the painting did not just spark from the visual value of it. Right. So I find it interesting um, that their young daughter is the person who picked up on the supernatural ambiance of the painting. Yeah. Um, because as I've said before, I, along with other people, believe that children can be more susceptible to picking up on signals from beyond our reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I said this before, but there's a theory that the very young and the very elderly are closer to what's beyond this life. Because as you are, as you're coming into this world and mm-hmm. you are a baby, you're closer to the spiritual realm. And as you are nearing death, you're growing closer to what's beyond this life. Mm-hmm. So I and find it about an interesting. One. Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting that the four-year-old is the one who said that this painting was sinister. Right. Anyways, the ad points out that this couple are skeptics. They kind of go on to say, I'm not the type of person to believe in ghosts. Mm-hmm. But I definitely gather the overall tone of the ad that they are still wanting out of their house. Yeah. So... I feel like they're protecting their own asses with that disclaimer at the end that says there's no no such thing as ghosts because they genuinely want to get rid of it. So well, I feel yeah, that, <laughs> that last part really confused me because mm-hmm. they're like, don't bid on this painting if you don't know what supernatural events are like, blah, 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 all this stuff. And then at the end, they're like, but there's no such thing. And don't let that discourage you from bidding. Right. So I'm like, why is there two different like things happening in this ad it seems like they actually like believe it's it could cause damage because they even make a point to say we're not liable if something happens exactly but don't worry you can buy it don't it's probably nothing like don't buy it just take it off our hands but also by the way when you're taking it off our hands do you know like a priest (laughs) that you recommend to come bless our house totally not related like (laughs) it just sounds it's just it's just weird how they're like don't bid on this if you know nothing of supernatural events. And then later they're like, but don't let this discourage you from bidding. Yeah. I just, it's just so like a dichotomy. I don't know. It's just weird. Right. So it's just, but, and even before this family posted this on eBay, Mm -hmm. there's already a history of people coming in contact with it and dying. And there actually still is, some people say when they buy a print of this artwork, they see the figures moving at night and they also get like really sick when they look at it. So there's like something about this imagery that this artist created that really trapped Strikes like something, something in it. Yeah. You. Yeah. It's, it's really fascinating to me. Um, I don't know like how much I believe of it, but I just like had to talk about this because, you know, it's a haunted painting and, right. and anyways, so it's actually a really good like cool painting right like i would i would have this in my house honestly i i like the painting (laughs) but um so after within hours of this being posted on ebay the story just spread like wildfire and with this new attention came reports that said viewers had strange reactions after coming in contact with or even viewing the painting and these reactions include people becoming violently ill uh fainting children screaming at the sight of the painting and many people reporting seeing an unseen entity gripping them, whatever that means. Oh, um, I, like that. Ugh, I know. And so eventually the painting sold and the first bid was $199 and it grew to a whopping final price of $1,050 over 30 days. Um, Wait, and what year is this? 2000? This is, yeah, this is in uh, the early 2000s. Okay. And so the buyer went on a podcast later on. I didn't listen to this podcast, but this is what I found online. And they said on this podcast, quote, experiences include an exorcist type of voice along with a blast of hot air like standing in front of an oven door, a new Epson printer that ate and mutilated page after page when the user tried to download images of the painting. What? So the printer <gasps> wouldn't even print it. I actually, oh my gosh. I know. I kind of want to try to print it. That's scary. Oh, I don't like that. Oh my gosh. That's so scary. Okay. Um, but the know. buyer that bought it off of eBay said that they plan to sell reproduction prints of the painting. Um, and so I guess my final thoughts are, I think that art can be a very powerful thing, mm-hmm. um, more powerful than some people realize. And it's not just something pretty to look at. And sometimes 
art can really incite an emotion and cause a reaction in yeah. people. And I think artists pour so much of their own energy into a piece that what if some of that energy that they put into the piece is captured forever? Because even if I don't faint when I look at this or I don't see ghosty images, when I look at this painting, it does cause this like feeling in my gut. Unsettling. Yeah. yeah. So I just find that fascinating about art. Um, and that uh, my art tends to be kind of leaning towards creepy. So that resonated with me. Yeah. Um, but this painting has a very ominous feel to it. And I, like I said, I had a hard time looking at this painting, even without knowing the story behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, but all in all, if I found a reproduction print of this, I think I would put it in my house, not in my like bedroom because, you know, I want to sleep, but maybe <laughs> in my garage or attic because oh, no. <laughs> I would like, although I'm a huge scaredy cat, I would love to firsthandly experience the effect of the painting, except if it caused like a death or illness. But if I, if it invited like friendly ghosties into my home, I'd be so game for it. Like bring on that experience. It doesn't sound like they're very friendly though. Yeah. Th but that's why I'm like, but it does cause death and illness maybe in people. So I don't know. But one day in my home, I do envision having, and I already talked to my fiance about this and he is game. Mm -hmm. I want like a horror themed room because I love classic old horror movies. So I might get like old horror movie posters, posters and yes. stuff like that. But I don't know. Would you have this painting in your no, home? No, definitely not. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like I, I know the answer. I print a picture of it or even look at it. <laughs> I almost printed a picture of it before we recorded just to be like, what would happen? But I was like, that would use up a lot of ink. So yeah. maybe not. <laughs> but yeah, so because I have such an affinity for the paranormal and I'm also an art fanatic, I um, wanted to share this story with you. And I kind of want to get a print of this painting. So I'll let you know if I end up being able to. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And that's the story that I have for you today. So I hope you liked it. And wow. that pretty much does it for episode six. Wow. Oh, gosh. I can't believe episode I, six already. We're just trucking along. Now we've covered 12 topics, which seems crazy. Yeah. But it's it's been really fun. And it's been such a creative outlet. So. Yes. And we have a lot of listeners every week. And so I know you like this podcast, so please just rate and review it. On it iTunes. helps us a lot. And to those of you that do listen every week, thank you um, yes. for giving us your time to listen to us just, you know, word vomit, all of this stuff that we find interesting. Mm -hmm. And we, yeah, we hope you continue to listen. We'll be back next week where I'll be covering the dark topic. Mm -hmm. And I'll be covering the art topic. And yeah, so we will see you guys then. Have mm -hmm. a great week. Yes, have a great week.